Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back. We have another boss lady slash another bra lady today on the show, but not only is she another bra lady, she is the bra lady, (laughs) the one holding all of us up with her hands so delicately. (laughs) For those of you that don't know what the hell I'm talking about, I've had a couple people on the show so far who have been members of both the Boss Ladies Community and Bra Network, which stands for Business Relationship Alliance. Today, I have on Carrie Murray, who's actually the founder and fabulous brainchild behind Bra Network. Um, And I'm so, so excited to talk to Carrie because she's definitely one of those people that has a past career life that if you met her today, you'd have no idea about. But when you learn about it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So Carrie, welcome to the party. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I love a good party. (laughs) I know you do, girl. And for those of you listening, not watching, Carrie's in her signature hot pink, which is just talk about like personal brand. This woman is hot pink in every of the word. And Mm -hmm. that's why I love you. So let's start at the beginning. What did little Carrie wanted to be when she grew up? I wanted to be an astronaut. Yes. When I, I definitely wanted, my parents both worked at NASA, but. No way. Uh, That's yeah. so freaking cool. Everybody yeah. else is like, yeah, I don't know. I saw an astronaut on TV and thought it'd be cool. You legitimately had parents in. Yeah, yeah I did. I actually worked at space camp for two summers <gasps> um, during college. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then um, I realized, wow, space is a really confined space. <laughs> as <laughs> ironically as that feels. It's really confined, and I have a whole claustrophobia thing, and all the math and science. Other than that, I was like, I could totally be an astronaut, <laughs> but no. I that was on my laundry list as well, but I had no basis for that. There was no like, you know, person that was like, yes, I could potentially help you get there. Yeah, no. What did, was, what did you think that meant? Like, what, what was it feeling at, as being an astronaut for you? Um, exploration, trying something new, um, but also there's a certain level of celebrity behind it. You know, you're, you're one of the few people that has actually been in space and, and I just always loved astronomy and stars and planets. And then when I moved into teaching it, I wanted to teach earth science so I could teach the chapter on space. And then I got to see a couple shuttles launch, which was really exciting. And that's when I was hooked. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going. Um, (laughs) And then I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. But isn't it funny? I find that this comes up over and over again with people's what they wanted to be when they grew up stories is generally they thought that that was the only route they could take to get those things, right? The exploration, the mild fame, right. um, you know, that, and now as an adult, you realize like, oh, there's 150,000 paths I could take to get those exact same things. Exactly. exactly. But you don't know what you don't know as a kid. Exactly. So now okay. I just watch space. <laughs> yeah. Space is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so you ended up going to school for what? Uh, Well, I got my bachelor's at San Francisco State um, in social work. And after being in the DA's office at the domestic violence division for a couple of years, I realized, yep, this is, I don't have the stomach for this. Um, Moved to LA and thought I was going to be an actress. Uh That sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah, and then I quickly realized I don't really want to be an actor. (laughs) It's a lot of work um, and a lot of denial. So that's when I went into, um, got my master's degree in education in LA and started teaching because I've always worked with kids and loved working with kids, but 
being in a classroom gave me an audience every day and they had to listen to me. So I had my own stage and I taught math and science for middle schoolers for uh, 12 years before I moved into administration. That's amazing. And it's so funny. I, I mean, that's how I scratch my wannabe TV show hostage too, is wait a minute, I'll just teach. And then they're mm-hmm. going to pay to hear me talk and then they have to pay attention. This is the best. And it's the same feeling you get as, you know, yeah. in that room and that audience. Yeah. And you teach them some cool shit. Yeah. Like, wow, you, you learned to read because of me. That <laughs> is pretty amazing. Yeah. That's it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely did. You know, I always wonder, so you said middle schoolers? That was yeah. your name? Man, mm-hmm. I always, I always think of middle school teachers and think they're the highest caliber of human for being able to deal with kids during puberty and all that nonsense. Oh yeah. They're a hot mess. Yeah. I feel like if if anybody though, I could see you commanding that pretty damn well. Yeah. I actually prefer that age more than, uh, I mean, I taught fourth and fifth grade as well, but seeing the little ones and wiping noses and tying shoes and the tears and just couldn't do it. Yeah. I just, it just makes me, no, those to me are the superheroes. Any kindergarten teacher is like, she should be on a pedestal, she or he, um, because the kindergartners scare the living hell out of me. (laughs) Very needy little parasites. They are. (laughs) You know, that's another good indicator though, that you're doing something that you should be doing when you think other people's jobs are way worse than yours. And you're like, why wouldn't you do this? These guys Mm -hmm. make sense to me. Yeah. That's always a good sign that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. So So I enjoyed it. Did you get the same, uh, the same satisfaction out of the administration route? No, not at all, because now I was dealing with policy, bureaucracy, um, and because it was public school budgeting and having to kind of stretch a dollar to, to $5, um, and then having to tell my teachers, yeah, we can't get you those new books. We don't have it in the budget. Or we can't get you that speech therapist for your student with the list because we don't have it in the budget. Um, it became very, very frustrating. And it's a huge system, LAUSD, and I did not have any desire to work my way up into like the school board and policy change and politics at all. And it got me further and further away from the classroom, which is where I loved being. I loved working with the teachers as an administrator. But once I left that, I was kind of like, meh, yeah, okay, we'll work on our accreditation document. I, oh, couldn't stand it. I mean, it's the same path that people get trapped in with management, right? At companies where they're excellent at their jobs, so they get promoted to manager, and then they don't do that job anymore at all. They're doing administrative crap that doesn't serve their skills. Yeah, and then I hated it. I yeah. a slow death, yeah. Pretty much. And that's what led me to leave um, because I was noticing that there was a population of kids that whose needs weren't being met in public school traditionally. And they were what's called twice exceptional kids. So they're kids who are highly gifted as well as have special needs. So that's when I was like, I'm going to create my own school. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) So you go from administration to just starting your own school? Yes. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, yeah, yeah. Walk, walk me through that because obviously I feel like there's lots of people that have these ideas where they're like, I could do this better. I'm oh yeah. Do this better. But yeah. like, obviously you don't just wake up one day and have a school with everything in it. Like what was, what was the path there? What was the oh, process? It was, so I had let, I'd given myself a year to build it. Um, but then it ended up being about seven months because we had to start in fall. I was so determined to start. It has to be in a fall. Um, and this was about 2012. Um, and I had partnered with someone who was also an administration and I had a teacher um, and we were going to work with, 
you know, kindergartners and then every year at a grade, uh, first grade. So it was only one grade. So I only had one grade to fill. Um, I had a building that came, you know, that was a preschool at a church that was leaving. So they had a space. So everything just kind of fell into place really, really quickly. Um, I borrowed money from my own trust and I was just like, all right, we're going to do this. Um, now building the curriculum, you know, buying all the classroom supplies and manipulatives and we had iPads and we were like, I had my Facebook business page and I was like, where are the kids? I'm done. Like, <laughs> where's everybody? Why aren't they knocking down my door? Um, having really no strong basis on what it meant to market, what it meant to advertise, um, how it, the hustle that would, what I needed to bring these kids to the door. Um, I did so many open houses and I think leading up to it, one of my, the biggest things in reflection that I should not have done was I had partnered with three people with the exact same strengths and weaknesses. So we were all gung ho about curriculum, but we had no one to teach it to. Kind of a minor detail. Yeah. Yeah. And we just thought we needed a fabulous website, a Facebook business page and a couple of ads and you know, Google would just send them our way and it would just be amazing. Um, I think at the highest point I had nine students, um, but I had space for 15. So every month I was in a deficit. Every month I was like struggling to get ahead and I would do things like, oh, I just have to, you know, post more on Instagram. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I need to hire a social media marketer. No. Um, so knowing, using everything I learned through that experience is what really fueled the foundation of the bra network and how I built that. Um, and that you actually don't need a large loan to begin. Um, but I needed it because I needed insurance because I was working with kids. Um, I mean, how do you even, how do you even go about just starting a school though? I guess maybe I don't understand how that works in terms of being allowed to just teach kids. Oh, anybody could start a private school. It's just one little form you fill out through the California Department of Education. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's how technically everybody that homeschools is their own private school. And you just have to show how you're ass assessing them, uh, your curriculum. Now the state will give you curriculum or you could say, well, we're going to do outdoor education and every day we're going to be working in a garden and that's how we're going to learn math. And the state's going to be like, great, check. Here you go. You're teaching them. Wow. It's one form you fill out. Yeah, that's it. Huh. Um, now they don't necessarily... You know, it's within our legal right to have a homeschool or have a private school, but ideally they want to keep the kids in their school um, because that's what generates funding for schools. Um, so we were taking kids away from public schools, but these parents were just desperate. They desperately needed someone to design something specialized for these kids because they weren't, they weren't your typical kid that could sit for 20 min minutes in circle time. So yeah, you know? tell me about these twice exceptional kids. What does that mean? So typically, uh, on average, um, they usually have autism or they're on the spectrum. They maybe have a learning disability um, that prevents them from really learning in a traditional classroom setting. Um, they need to be, sometimes they need to move around more, um, but also they're extremely gifted. So you have a five-year-old that can't really sit still, but can quote all of Harry Potter to you. Um, because they've read it in three days. Um, so they're not challenged in the traditional school setting. And honestly, a traditional school setting is not designed currently to work with these kids. It's a very much an you know, industrial factory kind of 
method. You put them all through the same machine and they're supposed to all come out with the same knowledge. Well, we've learned over time it's not actually the case, uh, particularly these particular little outliers. Um, so we developed curriculum that met their needs. You know, if they needed breaks, we took breaks. If they wanted to sit on a yoga ball instead of a chair, they did. Um, and these parents were so grateful and so appreciative. Um, and they just didn't have enough friends with the same kids to bring them to the school. Um, but it took, you know, a lot of time to really teach students who just need a few more minutes to actually process information and, you know, that are just bouncing off the walls. Um, so we gave them that time. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense then why it was so challenging to fill the room because it's such a niche situation yeah. and really, yeah, how do you target those parents? How do, how do they know you exist? And then I'm sure there's got to be some level of hesitation of like, well, okay, but who are you? Is this a real school? Like, what's the deal here? Yes. Um, you so, know. And paying for it because technically the state and school district pays for special education and you can sue the school district and they endure hundreds of lawsuits because your child's special needs aren't being met. Um, and then they will, they have to give you a stipend or they have to somehow pay for this private school or these extra services because it couldn't be provided in their home school. Now they of course want to avoid that. Um, so a lot of their tuition that I was paid for was paid, you know, up out of these parents' pockets where they could be at a public school and not have to pay for it. So really that was the big thing for them to wrap their head around like, oh wow, you know, I have to pay for school now where they're not typically doing that. Um, and it's an expense. And they're mostly, and because they were kindergartners, they were five, six-year-olds, um, they were at the beginning of their school career. So they were like, okay, is this gonna be something that we have to do every year until they go to college? Or just just like a one-time intervention that that we can do with Carrie and her teacher and then mainstream them and it really is individualized it just depends on the kid there are some kids that I had that I was like yeah no they're never gonna be a kid that sits in a traditional classroom setting it's just unfair to them they're well, learning so in kindergarten these parents probably haven't seen the extent to which their children are not gonna fit in in the traditional environment yet maybe they're Correct. still even hopeful that like Oh, it'll work itself out or they'll grow they are. it. They are. And they think that we have the kind of the secret sauce to that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I could look at them and say, like, I know what that kid's going to be like in, you know, in 10th grade. Um, he's still going to need a speech therapist. He's still going to need a one-on-one -on -one aid. Um, I don't know what school that will be that he can uh, go to um, and attend. Um, and I'm still in contact with all of um, my parents, previous parents. Um, and I see their kids. And some went, uh, most of them went the homeschool route. And they're, yeah, they've hired private tutors to come to their house and work with their kids. So how long did the school make it? Three years. I mean, that's not that bad. Yeah. But by the end of the third, by the third year, we were just one on, we were just working one-on-one -on -one with kids. So I would hire a teacher to work one-on-one -on -one because the needs were getting so diversified that being in a classroom with someone who's autistic and someone who has Tourette's and someone who, um, you know, has a really high sensitivity to sound or um, taste or touch, you know, having to accommodate all of them was getting more and more difficult. So we created one-on-one -on -one scenarios with them. Mm. So what were the big lessons learned of this venture? Um, I think the biggest one was just because you love doing it, it doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, yeah. The lesson. That's the saddest lesson that we all learn at some point. Yeah. 
And um, if you build it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean they will come. <laughs> but I think uh, the biggest takeaway I had was seeing that I could actually uh, run a business. Like, you know, I could do QuickBooks. And as much as I was the CEO and curriculum developer, and I was also the marketer, I was also the CFO, I was also the janitor. Um, and having a brick and mortar is so difficult. It adds such another layer of pressure as a business owner that I, I definitely did not anticipate. Um, you know, everything with, you know, codes and health department and, you know, is it retrofitted and rent and insurance and everything that, you, you know, kind of goes into owning a home or having a lease. I was now doing it in a actual brick and mortar place and supervising children, like don't fall down. <laughs> like, you know, it was, that was a huge takeaway. Like you don't need a brick and mortar right away. Avoid that as long as you can. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you went all in pretty much. I did. Yeah, I did. Um, and I don't regret it. I loved it. And I, the, the parents that I had were so appreciative and it actually was that experience that led me to, to realize I was surrounded by so many other women who are entrepreneurs. You know, I had parents who were entrepreneurs. I had uh, friends who were, and I had, you know, friends outside of friends and I, and they were feeling the same way I was, which was kind of alone in all this. I have no one to talk to. And my business partner has the same questions I do. So we're just like, Oh no, what do you want to do? Um, so it wasn't until I started seeing these other women that I was like, can I just talk to you about, you know, entrepreneurship and like owning a business. And they were like, I need to talk to you too. Um, and other networking groups I'd been to, it was so like stuffy and just kind of like, Ooh, here's my business card. <laughs> and they didn't really want to talk about running a business. They just wanted you as a, you know, a potential client. Yeah. yeah. The chamber kind of mixer things. Right? Exactly. You're like mm. business card cannon where they just yeah. like spew business cards out and they're like, okay, well I did my part. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And I had such a niche uh, market and ideal client that when I would tell people, they would all nod their head. That's amazing. And then move on. <laughs> They're like, mm, you're not going to hire me. I have nobody for you. Moving. Yeah. Moving on. So, um, that, that's just kind of like how it started. Um, but it is what that building that school is what led me to build bra for sure. So where did bra come from? I mean, we've got the need, obviously. I always like to think of like, you know, your why for your business is sort of the breaking point, right? Like that's the moment when you're like, okay, fine, I'm going to do this. And the lead up to it is really the reasoning behind the why, right? So, I mean, that's obvious in this situation. You wanted camaraderie and commiseration and support and knowledge. Um, and it sounds like up until this point, you had done a very much a teach yourself approach to everything, which yes. is doable, but it's lonely and it's yeah. not really sustainable, you know, you get burned out and your brain can only feel so much. And so, yeah. So what was, what was the why? What was the point where you were like, okay, I, I'm going to formalize this. Yeah. It was probably at a point where, um, it started with just two of us having dinner while our girls were in ballet. And then we kept realizing, oh wait, you should meet her and she needs to meet you. And, and then it kind of grew from there. And it wasn't until there was about you know, about 15 of us in my backyard when I thought, I think there's, there's a brand here. I think I need a website because everybody was looking for a place to go, um, you know, online other than like a Facebook group, although we have a, a Facebook group, but they wanted like, where can I go to find your contact? Where can I go to see your website? That's all in one spot. Mm. Um, and then the meetings that we had would turn into 
you know, all of us showcasing what and talking about ourselves. You know, I am a speech therapist. This is what I do. This is my ideal client. And then we would all farm that out into our own communities. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. And then I never realized that at the time, a core value of bra would be that we hire each other first until everyone started hiring each other first. And they kept asking, you know, hey, do you know an architect? Do you know, you know, an interior designer? Um, and if we didn't, we would go find them yeah. um, and then invite them to be the bra. So that's kind of where that started, which is we kind of naturally wanted to support each other. Um, and we really wanted this kind of group to, we felt like this, you know, really tight little family and we wanted to invite more people in it because it just felt so special and so unique. And it wasn't, and it was just kind of cheeky and fun that we would support and we padded each other's business and, you know. Um, I love a good pun and yeah. Harry takes it all the way, you guys. <laughs> it's, every time you've got a new name for something like, ah, oh, she found another angle. I love it. <laughs> exactly. So it just kind of grew, grew from there. And, you know, we kind of started at, you know, like training bras and now we're full on bosom buddies. Now um, you're basically needing a reduction at this point. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but it's been great. It's been a great experience. And that I started it officially, I'll say like when I launched the website, which was um, November of 2015. Yeah, so almost three years. Um, so it's been, but there we've kind of like had these meetings and unofficially had bra for like nine months leading up to me finally branding it and getting a website and being like, I should charge for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always that moment where you're like, is this something people would actually pay for? Yeah. Which I think, you know, whether you realize this or not, I think you probably learned that lesson from the school was like, you know, building it first and hoping they're going to show up doesn't always work. Whereas if you validate your idea and test it and then build it because of the need it generally is a much better way to go about creating something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then figuring out the value of it. Yeah. And as I've grown over the last, you know, two and a half years, um, what am I offering of value, you know, and how do you scale that? And, and then what, what, what's the next step for people and, and how do I get my reach even further outside of LA and how do I get to entrepreneurs, you know, who are alone in Duluth, you know, <laughs> making jewelry, like how do I reach them? And, um, so it's, and they all need community. They, it, it was surprising to me how much we really, as women seek community and commiseration. And, you know, even if it's just about, am I crazy? Is this a crazy idea? Cause when you work by yourself, you're just like, I'm amazing. Or worse. You think the opposite. You're like, I'm garbage. Nothing yeah. I do is good. And it's like, usually it's somewhere in between. Yeah. But you're like, this is a great idea. And then you like tell it to a few friends are like, yeah, no. I don't know about that, <laughs> but it just, it just kind of, you know, it's good to have a group of women that you can be like, am I crazy or, or I'm feeling like crap. Can you, you know, can we meet for coffee and, and just get me out of my bubble? Um, and we kind of have that embedded in our network. Yeah. Talk to me about the three core values. Cause I love them. So the collaboration over competition obviously is so my jam. Yeah, absolutely. So that came from the idea that other business networking groups I'd been to, they only allowed one person from each profession That's in so the group. True. A lot of traditional yeah. networking groups are a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. And like, you can only hire this one person. And I just thought like, well, what if they're busy? Also, <laughs> what if you don't vibe with them? Yeah. Or what if I don't like their work? And yeah. so 
particularly with the, you know, my creative um, members, there's, a, I mean, like, for example, I have a lot of photographers. So creating a, a place where they can collaborate um, over competing was a huge milestone, I think, because I wanted them to make sure they felt comfortable, one, being in a room together and not being like, she's going to take business from me, meh, um, but also that they had the uncomfortable conversation about, okay, what are you charging? Yeah. Like, how much are you charging uh, for a portrait session? And what, what am I charging? And why don't we make sure it's somewhere in the same range so that we are keeping our profession, you know, at a certain level of value? I mean, um, that piece alone is everything for an independent, you know, freelancer or entrepreneur because you don't know what you don't know. And if you're, you know, putting out a service, services are the hardest freaking things to charge for because, like, at the end of the day, you feel like you're selling yourself, which it's really hard to put a price tag on your, it is in your time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think men struggle with that. No, they don't. I don't no. think, <laughs> I think it's a very unique female issue. And it I will is. say like, since I started working one-on-one -on -one with consulting clients, um, I've, I've almost doubled, no, I've almost quadrupled, uh, my rate because Good. I started realizing like, wait a minute, these people are saying yes way too easily. Yeah. And also I'm asking like, what are the other services they're hiring for branding or marketing or anything like that? And they're telling me the rates they're paying for this without blinking an eye. And it's like literally four times what I'm charging. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard when you don't have somebody to compare yourself to necessarily. Like it's very lucky if you're in a thing like photography or even branding where there's a lot of you because you can be like, all right, what are you, what are your ranges? We might not, have the same experience level. I might need to charge a little less or maybe even more, but at least get me in the ballpark. Yeah, exactly. And I hadn't, when I started um, bra, I didn't, I didn't know of any other business networking group except for the really, really big ones like BNI, where it was like $1,500, um, uh, you know, a year. Um, and I was, would look at, you know, all of their offers and I was like $1,500 to go to their conference in Houston. <laughs> like, what is this? How are you there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it has been an interesting journey as, you know, to remember to collaborate, um, versus competing, um, even for myself, um, when I have other, then there are other women's networking groups, even in LA, you know, Quilt and Boss Ladies and, um, Loom and all of them are, and they're all great, but we all, I realize do something a little bit different. hundred um, percent. Yeah. And I think it's great. I love that. You know, I can speak to all of the leaders of those communities openly about like, Hey girl, how you doing? Good. Um, and within our group, as, as big as we think LA is, it's really not, um, Gosh, it's the <laughs> smallest town you've ever, if yeah, it's, it's a small and both gossipy and also supportive and also like all the things that come from knowing everybody, all you need to know are like key players. And then you do know everybody. Yes, pretty much. Like you're two degrees away from everybody. Always. Yes. And yeah, Kevin Bacon. And Kevin Bacon. That guy. Actually, Kevin Bacon's son came to space camp with me. So technically, you're one. I'm one degree. So now you, you are two degrees. And away. now I'm two. See, guys, this is why you're friends with connectors. Right? It cuts down the degrees just to Kevin Bacon alone. <laughs> you can win that game every day. Hang out with us. Exactly. No, I think it's so important. I think especially with... Um, you know, the multiple, we'll use the photography example. I think that's so interesting because it's such a good example of how everybody does, can do the same thing, but completely differently with their own flavor, their own spin to it, their own vibe. 
I literally this week had a friend reach out and say, Hey, I need new headshots. Who do you recommend? Mm -hmm. And I sent her five photographers and I said, I love all of these women. They're all so fucking good. They're worth the money. They're so professional. Let me know whose vibe you match with the best. And that's what it was. And she ended up picking a bra member. Oh, hi. (laughs) And, you know, she was like, her vibe matches what I'm going for the best here. And I'm like, great. And even me, like I've had headshots done by multiple people. And it's when I have different purposes for them. Right. And like, same with podcasts, same with literally anything. Like you can have two favorite ice cream stores, guys. Because yeah. one has like this special flavor that the other one doesn't. The other one does soft serve. You re- you're in the mood for old school scoop. Like it's, it's the same thing. And I think yeah. the sooner you get out of each other's way and stop feeling like everybody's against you and you're, you need to protect your assets and protect your information, mm-hmm. the better off everybody is. I agree. I like, I have a goal in 2018. I was actually talking to Tony Purry, who I know has been on this podcast Episode about number two. Oh, see about having hosting yet another dinner party and inviting everyone who are all architects or all photographers yeah. or all branding coaches and making them sit at a dinner party and talk about their money and their oh, mindset, and what they're charging and get it out in the open. Um, and then figure out a way how they can support each other. If they get a client that says, you know, I don't shoot infants. But I, or photograph, I don't photograph <laughs> infants, but I photograph, you know, engagement photos, you know, let's trade, let's like, let me give you this client and, and everything. But so many, especially creatives, they hold on to work, even though it's not really what they want to be doing because they're so desperate just to have the work. I mean, um, that alone is very important statement. And it goes for entrepreneurs and people in traditional day jobs, we'll say like, that scarcity mindset does not serve anybody because what happens is you put this out there that you don't have enough and you just need to take what you get and you're not going to, like I will say in my own business and in my own career, the times when I was like, yeah, you know what? That's not quite the right fit. I'm going to let that pass by or I'm not going to cling to it so hard. It opens up space for the right things to come in. It really, truly does. It does. It's, I know it feel. it's so scary though to say no to work or to say no to a job. I was having this conversation with a friend this week too about she was offered a job. She was reached out to by a company, offered this job after going through the process and then they under, you know, quoted her a salary and she wasn't even going to negotiate. She's like, well, what if they say no then? And I'm like, can we pause for a second? You have a job already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. don't need a new job. This sounded interesting. So you took it, you know, took the opportunity. And like, now suddenly you're feeling like you have to say no, or have to say yes. And it's like, no, no, let's just sit back and think, is this right? Will this make me happy? Yeah. And is this going to serve my overall goals? And we're always in the driver's seat. And I know there are times when you feel like, yeah, well, screw you. I need the money. Yes. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. But like, if that becomes the routine, you're kind of patterning like your business yeah. after you'll that get burnt out. Yeah. And you'll get totally burnt out. Yeah, you can only sustain that for so long about it, which yeah. is not the way you want to feel when you're doing anything really, mm-hmm. especially for yeah. a sustained period of time. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I love that idea of getting traditional competitors in a room together so they mm-hmm. can all just be real with each other and talk yeah. about like, okay, are you guys dealing with this too? Or like, what do you do when this happens? Or how are you approaching this new topic? Or how are you charging for this thing? I think 
that only serves to lift everybody else up. Yeah. And also like, what kind of assistant are you using? When did you know you were ready to get a VA or did you, are you doing everything with QuickBooks or are you using FreshBooks? Like little tips of the industry that me as the founder of Bra, I cannot advise a photographer or an architect you know, whether to use QuickBooks or FreshBooks. Nor is that your skill set. Yes. Your skill set is bringing human beings together and providing a space for them to do these things, to communicate. Yeah. And that's, that's a value higher than anybody could achieve on their own. So I think that's important too, like sticking with what you're great at and what drives you and what motivates you and lights you up and makes you excited to go to work every day, not trying to be all the things to all the people. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, you'll just get burnt out. Yeah. frustrated and then you'll be like fuck it I'm out of here yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go, go work at Starbucks exactly <laughs> yeah. Mine is, I'm gonna go work at like um like a stationary store which is <laughs> paper source here I come paper source <laughs> if you're hiring I know a girl right. <laughs> I can tell how happy I am with my entrepreneurial life based on how badly I want to go work at paper source right <laughs> so, so then the second core value the hire within we talked about that a little bit but I think that's very fascinating because it speaks to the fact that people don't necessarily want to go out and do a ton of research on who's available to hire or, you know, what products are out there to buy. I think that's a really important thing for entrepreneurs, especially to remember that like referrals will get you so much farther than just promoting Facebook posts and trying to go at it alone and hoping yeah. people discover you. I actually just wrote a blog about the sharing economy and how testimonials will get you a new client or someone to purchase from you faster than anything else. And I really think it comes, I mean, even big companies like Uber and Airbnb, I mean, you can't step out of an Uber before you get a push notification that says, give us a rating. Yeah. Tell us how we did. Um, but also we are so shy to kind of be like, can you let me know how I did? Like, can you just write something up? But then I've seen some women who've been in business for 20 plus years who are just like, yeah, let me know what you thought. And they've taken the emotion out of it and, mm -hmm. and have made it very transparent. Um, and it is, it's like when you have something that a resource, like a network that, and a directory where you're like, okay, these people are vetted and here's their testimonials and they've been hired by how many other people in this network? Well, then all, all she has to do is close me now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, has to be right price and right timing. And that's kind exactly. of it. Yeah. Yeah, it takes all that guesswork out of it. That's one of the big strategies I work with my clients on in my collaboration work is how do you leverage your existing relationships with your past clients and with your network to get more of those kinds of things? And how do you make it super easy for them to recommend you? Absolutely. Right? Like you got to make it a no brainer. You've got to write the intro, the perfect intro for them to share about you. You have to put it out there on your social platforms. Like, Hey, FYI, I'm in the market for more podcast interviews. The reason yeah. I reached out to you for this is you posted on somebody's, you know, podcast interview that you wanted to be on a podcast. And I was like, mm -hmm. sold, done. Yeah. Okay, cool. And it's not that I didn't know you. Obviously I did, but people just need to be reminded. That's yes. all it is, is like, put you out, you have to help your network help you. They're not going to just automatically think of you for every opportunity. So yeah. I think having a network like Bra, where you can literally like be put on a website and you're so great at in the Facebook group, randomly like promoting people's events and their courses and things like that, that goes so far, especially for the shy among us, not you mm -hmm. and I, of course, but no. <laughs> the shy among us who are not okay with self-promotion. 
Right, right. And I think the biggest thing for, that comes from that is maybe they don't buy, you know, if I put a post that someone is doing a social media workshop, maybe they don't buy the workshop. But nine times out of 10, I will inevitably get an email or a DM or a text that's like, remember that time you posted that thing with this woman who does social media marketing? Can you get me her contact information? Yep. Always happens. And it's all because they have had that. I'm not ready to buy that now. But when I am, Carrie knows somebody and they're in the network. I just got to remember that. And then sure enough, I send them to the right person and they, they end up working together. It's a um, long game. A lot of really times is. referrals are a long game and it's tricky to measure. And for people that are very tied to like, okay, well, what's the conversion rate of this and that? It's like, especially with collaborations and partnerships, you know, this idea of being promoted by a trusted source who already has a built-in community who trusts what they say. Yeah, it's not always going to be an immediate conversion because people don't work that way. The odds of you hitting somebody exactly at the time they need you are pretty small. Yeah. However, you warm them. And it's that exposure. It's that awareness to your business. And like you said, they'll come back and be like, did you, was there a, I think yeah. I was here. You know yeah. somebody? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's not this brand new concept, right? Yeah. Like most and, of my, and it's like, as soon as they hit like on something, I'm like, okay, I'll hear from you again. They're warm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, most of my clients are people that I have met months to a year earlier who mm -hmm. either didn't know what I did quite yet at the time. They weren't quite ready in their business, but the moment something came up, they're like, wait, I think I know somebody that does something like that, mm -hmm. you know? And so you never know how that's going to play out. But I think having it even slightly formalized as you do is so, so, so helpful for people to be like, okay, I do need an accountant right now. Yeah. Who can I hire from this group yeah. who I know has been vetted and is trusted and has been hired by people that I trust and I have vetted. It just, it's so much better. It's, it's a, a more qualified and lovely version of the yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. Right. I also think any of my members that are B2B, um, that most of their clients have now this sense of urgency. Like I needed an accountant yesterday. Yeah. I needed photos yesterday. <laughs> I need a new branding and a new website like three weeks ago. And now they're like ready. So, um, I think for B2B bra members, they, they've got it. Like they're, they're just waiting. I'm here for you. <laughs> um, yeah. They're ready and waiting. Mm -hmm. And then the final, uh, core value I really, really, really love. And it's advancing women as experts. So absolutely about that one. So I think, um, that's all about mindset really is, um, how do you position yourself as the expert in your field? And I think when you go into it, um, any business, um, you, you really have to have your support, your tribe surrounding you. That's going to lift you up and bring you that mirror to tell you like, this is fantastic. Go with it. Stop doubting yourself. You are the expert. Um, and that comes from just I think honestly, role playing and rehearsing and reminding yourself, actually, I do know how to be a great accountant. I do know how to be a great marketer. Um, and I don't need what's happening externally to influence um, where I'm at. Um, and I think we have traditionally been taking a passive role to that. I also feel that because in the last you know, 10 or 15 years, Big companies, you know, big, huge companies where everybody would go and they'd work for 35 years at one company. They've ne we've now as a society lost faith in them, you know, with the Enrons and everybody losing everything they've ever worked for. So that now the entrepreneur 
is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So that means you're the CEO, you're the expert, you're the one in charge. And people have faith in you more than they need to have a board and you need to have, you know, you need to be the next Google. You really don't. Let Google be Google. <laughs> you be the best marketer, networker, whatever, coach that, that you can. And positioning your mindset to knowing that, oh, I am the badass at this. Here's my website. Here's what I charge. And no, I don't give a discount. Damn right. Mm-hmm. Damn right. No, it's so important. That's something that's been coming up a lot in my life with a lot of my clients is really me realizing how, how insecure really successful women are. You know, it's mind blowing. And I know this because I am the same way at times. Me too. And, you know, it doesn't matter how extroverted or confident you are. Like we all are, are we still have a deep layer of insecurity that, that pokes its ugly head out and pokes us on the shoulder every now and then being like, what the hell are you doing? Nobody you're not good at this. Like who the hell do you think you are? Like the imposter syndrome is, I feel like a, a national emergency. Yes. Um, but what I'm realizing with a lot of my clients is there are the, there's these brilliant women who are great at what they do. You kind of can't be an entrepreneur for more than a year or two, unless you are great at what you do, because yeah. it's freaking hard to get clients. It's really hard to get work when you're not part of a company, when you're having to pound the pavement yourself and do all of these tactics to get clients in the first place, if you're not good at what you do, you're not going to keep getting clients. So that alone is a good indicator, right? If you've been making money from the thing that you're doing for more than a couple of years, you're probably good at what you do. And what we often forget too past that is the way you get promotion for your business is by coming out from behind your business. Yes. Right? Like, there are more women than not that I know in our entrepreneurial communities who use the we thing, right? Oh, our company does this. We do this. Uh, mm -hmm. Bitch, you're alone. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. You. you and your cat. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I used to say my coworkers or my employees were Buster and Fiona. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think I get that. We often don't feel qualified enough to say that, yeah, it's just me. That thing that makes it look like we're small town, you know, small potatoes. When in reality, I think there's a lot of power in owning that you are your business. You mm -hmm. are a team of one. And not only that, like you're so good at what you do, you're able to wear all those hats and still kick ass. Right. And so I love, I love, I love, I love, love this value because I'm in this phase of life where I'm just wanting to just light women on fire in the mm -hmm. best way and be like, Carrie, get the hell out there. Give the yeah. world what you have to give. Go do things only you can. Um, in the special, amazing, unique way that you're going to do them because for somebody, you are going to be their guru, right? Yeah. We always forget that like, oh, but Oprah's this, 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 this. or oh, yeah. so-and-so, you know, oh, Marie Forleo's this. And it's like, yeah, for some people, that's their guru. But for others, you're going to be the first person that they hear say these things. Yeah. And you're going to be their person. So, and that's a great responsibility. It's a it's an honor and a privilege, but it's one that you should freaking take advantage of and not hide behind and not, you know, second guess yourself and think that any minute now they're going to figure you out. Right. Or, and, and on the other side of that is being okay. If they're like, you know what, I'm not really into the bra thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit too girly or too feminine for me. So I'm going to pass. And at first I was like, mm, they unsubscribed. And now I'm just like, okay, bye. Um, good luck to you and everything that you do. Um, but it's also dealing with that rejection that, yeah, you may not be everyone's cup of tea. Um, and I know I, you know, especially 
I have a lot of personality and some people are like, yay. And some people are like, yay. <laughs> um, but, and it's okay. It's okay to be accepting the fact that, you know, they, they may not warm to you. That's okay. You don't want that person as a client. You don't want to work. You with have somebody. to work so much harder to make them like you. And that's yeah. such a waste of your energy. Absolutely. And just being comfortable with, yeah, I'm good. Go on your merry way. You know, it's, it's a thing that I know a lot of us deal with this rejection thing and wanting people to like us and feeling hurt personally when they don't want your flavor, if you will. And in reality, now I look at every unsubscribe from my list is like, thanks for saving me money on MailChimp. That's one <laughs> person I have to pay for as a subscriber. Right. And it's true. Like my favorite Southern saying is there's a seat for every ass. And yeah. <laughs> I think it's true with business too. Like I'm not going to be everybody's vibe, you know? And I think in my early days of entrepreneurship, I tried to be very gender neutral and I tried mm -hmm. to like be for corporate and entrepreneurs and individuals. And you're just, you're, you're mush at that point. Right. You know? You're like, blah, you're nothing individual. So people can't relate to you and they don't know who you are and they can't vibe with you. But if you're unapologetically you and you are hot pink as a human mm -hmm. being, then they're going to be like, cool. I, I'm not in the hot pink done easy or mm -hmm. hell yes. I fucking love hot pink. Let's do yeah. this. Like, but if you were just beige, they would have no idea what was really under there. And right. So yeah. It's powerful, but terrifying to really. It is. Who you Absolutely. Are. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, you have to have some steel, steel balls. Uh, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. God, um, no, my Lord. I talk people out of entrepreneurship daily. Yeah. <laughs> I do. People, sure. Somebody just asked me like, do you have any advice for somebody that's wanting to become an entrepreneur? I'm like, maybe don't. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Consider literally every option. <laughs> Before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we are in an age of where entrepreneurship will be something that probably most people dabble with at some point in their careers because it's just too easy to, to not. It yeah. really is. The resources are just up. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the chutzpah that must come from within to sustain that lifestyle uh, and the confidence when you're really not and the, the comfort in the discomfort, I think that's the make or break piece. So I, you know, everybody should give it a shot at some point. If there's something that they feel like they must bring into the world, then by all means, give the world what you've got, but also be okay if you realize like, yeah, actually I would love to go home after work. <laughs> AKA and be done. Leave my office and walk into my living room. Yeah, yeah, and be done and not have to worry about whether you're going to be able to pay the bills next month. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of comfort in that. So. Absolutely. So um, it is not, um, you've got to have some great, great drive. Yeah. Do you work. think, do you think you'll always be an entrepreneur? Do you think oh yeah, for sure. Money? Oh yeah. I don't, I don't imagine ever being anyone's employee ever again. No way. <laughs> um, no. And I hope it's with bra. I mean, ideally in, you know, the long game, I would love to have a bra space that's, you know, great for co-working, um, you know, childcare, uh, workshops, uh, pap smears, you can bring your dog and, you know, we can all, it's like a one-stop shop. Um, that would, that's my long game. Um, and in, you know, cities across the world. <laughs> Um, how, how am I going to do that? No freaking idea, but you know. matter. one step at a time. That's exactly. how this whole thing works. Exactly. Well, and I think it's really cool to, to have like an anchored, you know, ideal future and then allow yourself to kind of drift that direction. However it goes yeah. and allow your, your members to help inform your decisions too. Like you oh, might, absolutely. your members don't want that at all. 
I mm-hmm. know that's incorrect because we all want that, but <laughs> you know, you never know. You might again, like have this idea of what people need and want, and then you do it and they're like, no, we actually, we're good the way we are. And you're like, damn it. Really should have consulted you. <laughs> oh, that happened when I built my courses. So I built courses and then all of us, when we build courses, <laughs> you, know, you built a course and, and they came and then I built some more and then one just wasn't selling. And I was just like, you know, why am I stressing over the fact that people just, this is not for them right now. I can just cancel it. What? And I won't be a failure if I cut my losses and, and go, it's okay. I realize like there's no boss above me going, you better fill that class. Right. You better get that done. And I realized, no, I can actually say we're going to move on. Yeah. That's a smart business decision. Mm-hmm. You know? And we do, we still get wrapped up in this failure success trap of yesteryear that, that wasn't really designed by any of us. And it's right. like the idea that you have to see something through to completion for it to be a success is I think kind of bullshit. Cause I mean, yeah. Lord knows we could all be dead in a week, may as well do things that are profitable and fun and valuable to other people as opposed to just sticking with it for the sake yeah. of sticking with it. Yeah. To follow through with it. It's like, no, cut your losses and go. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. It's just like, move on. Your energy is spelt is better spent elsewhere. Yeah. Always. Even if it's laying your ass on the couch and relaxing for a little bit. Right. That if is valuable. On, you know, Netflix and right. <laughs> very whatever important. the kids are watching. These <laughs> Handmaid's Tale. I can't get enough of it. Oh, my poor nine-year-old. No, you're I'm kidding. You're I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too real. It's really, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's dark. I don't recommend it actually. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not going to put that in the show notes. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, and that kind of leads into the final piece of bra that I love and wanted to talk about, which is providing a space for women to feel both valuable and vulnerable. And I think that's something that is uniquely um, tied to female entrepreneurs is I think in my communities, at least, it's almost like you get whiplash sometimes between somebody being like, hell yeah, I'm fully booked for next month. I'm killing it. And then in the same breath being like, and then this really shitty thing happened and you start to tear up and da 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 da. And then you move on to the next person. This might've been literally me, uh, this, <laughs> but neither here nor there. Um, but I think that that feeling valuable, feeling powerful, and also being okay, being openly vulnerable is a thing we're all trying to navigate and figure out how to balance. Um, but talk to me about that as it relates to bra. Definitely. I think um, anytime we've had our gatherings and we typically meet in the evening uh, for our kind of like relaxing, kind of venting, like just let's just be real. Um, and you can tell that people are a little inhibited and like, do I share this? But once one person starts um, and saying, you know, I, I sucked at this, I sucked at, you know, this client call that I had, it was a sales call and I totally sucked at it. And now I'll probably lose that sale. Um, and then looking to the next person to be like, well, you should have done this instead. Like, you know, it's so not us. We're like, it's their loss. You didn't want them as a client anyway. Forget them. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're all these soccer moms for um, each other. And I'm very much always on the sideline going, you can do it. You can book them. You can nail that sales call. Um, I'm very much that cheerleader. And I think because it's so natural in my personality, it just comes out in my branding. It comes out in my messaging, I hope anyway. And that when a member comes in, they're enthusiastic about, oh, this is is that place where I can be like, I totally sucked at sales calls. Who can help me? 
um, and get the right advice, get, get in the right direction and then propel yourself forward where you don't have to be so professional all the time and be so like put together. You can come out no bra and just be like, I'm, I'm having a shitty day and I don't even know what even to do with myself. Um, and we're here to help you and support you and just be like, I've been there. Um, so you don't always need lipstick on. It's okay. Oh, I love all of that. My preferred state is no bra. So yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in all of ours. No, it's true. I think recognizing that failing, whatever the hell that means anyway, failing does not make you a failure and being bad at something does not make you bad at everything. And having dips does not mean your whole life sucks. It's all perspective right. and it's just the way it is, guys. I mean, I, if this podcast has taught me anything. It's hearing everybody's stories of their own failures, which are always followed by some amazing thing that happened because of the friggin' failure. So yeah. it's so hard to do in the moment. But now when things don't go the way I wanted them to, which is honestly just mismatched expectations to reality, um, especially when you're creating something like, say, the course thing, I say everybody has an online course story because. Often with online courses, people assume that people want this. They put it out there and then nobody signs up and you're like, wait, what? But this yeah. is great. And you were <laughs> setting your own expectations for X number of you know, signups when you didn't base that on anything, but a number that sounded good to have, right? right. The number of seats in the room, in the actual mm -hmm. room. So I think every time something like that happens, I think, okay, well, I'm excited now. What's going to show up in this, you know, in its place? Because there's always a, a happy thing followed by or follow, yeah. you know, following the fat, sad thing. So, yeah. and I think every group, you know, every event that we've had at bra, whether it be a workshop or, you know, something for charity or, or whatever, I always have the, this leading up to it, like, oh my God, nobody's going to come. Right. Nobody's going to come. But every time it does, whether it be 10 people or 30 people, I always leave with meeting new women. Um, my members meeting new people, everyone making connections, even if it's just small, even if it's just like, oh, I'm just going to follow you on Instagram. Thank you. Right. Or, oh, yeah. some days that's all you want. Just that's all you need is like, I got, 10, like. Yeah. So I got 10 new followers from going to that event. I mean, it feels good. And those little, you know, deposits, that's your word, the little deposits you make um, into your social bank um, really can fuel you fuel yourself and your business far, far longer than you really anticipate going, well, I shouldn't go to that. Just go. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's like, just get out of your comfort zone. You're probably going to walk away with something great from it. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, people get so wrapped up in the networking thing and being afraid of it and going to events. And in reality, like there's very few events I've ever been to where I was like, well, that was a total waste of my two hours. You yeah. Know, it's up to you to get something out of it. And also from the perspective of the event organizer, it makes them feel really nice when you actually show up. It does. It does indeed. Because we're behind the scenes being like, well, this is the time when literally nobody shows up. Yeah, pretty much. Know it. I just know it. <laughs> everybody's, <laughs> nobody's yeah. coming. It's raining. Nobody's coming. Yeah, that's a valid fear in LA. So, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, Carrie, this is so great. I knew I loved you, but now I really know I love you. Oh. And I love all how you just incorporate all of this amazing, your connectorness, your, your willingness to learn and above everything else, your willingness to help other people, I think really just exudes through your hot pink personality and Thank wardrobe. You. So Thank you. And I really appreciate you creating this space, this podcast, so you can showcase how women are making the transition from 
where they thought they were stuck in a career into taking the brave leap into entrepreneurship. I think it's a great idea for a podcast and it's, I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, I'm happy to have you. This yeah. is a fun party. Yeah, it was. Next we'll have cocktails. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a follow-up where we're in the same place and we're drinking together because I feel like that's an unofficial uh, core value of froth. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.